0: Welcome to the AOL Podcast. Let's dive right into this week's message. Hey, Arena of Life family. I
1: want to invite you to prayerfully considering being a part, February 25th, of a faith offering we're going to give for the future. Uh, those of you that have been a part of this house over the last couple of years, uh, I take this time at the first of the year to give the state. Of the church address just like the president does of our country of where we've been where we're going this is a time of vision to look beyond where we are and so I want to invite you to be here this is not a time to sleep in this is not a time to get other plans this is a time to be a part of here and see what God is doing through you to make a difference in this community and even around the world We've done lots of things uh, during this time. We've been able to um, remodel the bathrooms. We've we've updated and been stewards of the things that God has given us here. But God's called us to so much more. I'm going to give you a plan of attack of where we're going in 2024. God blessed us in 2023. And I'm here to tell you that, that we've done we did better in 2023 as a church than we've ever done in the history of the church. But I believe God wants more. And I can't wait to share with you where we're going and what God is going to do. So prepare your hearts, prepare your offering. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8, 2 and 3, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up and rich generosity for i testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability we're coming to give seeds of faith for the future for our kids for this community we're gonna make a difference like god has called us to do february 25th i'll see you there
2: all right are you all excited about that amen. That's going to be exciting to be here Sunday and see the vision lined out and, and be encouraged. And so we're looking forward to that. And I know Pastor's going to give us a lot of details on the plans and, and the vision and things like that. So it's it's really good. And I believe, uh, you know, we're going to be able to make that. No, we, along with God, is going to be able to make that uh, work. All right. Let's start with a word of prayer as we get into ready to our bible study and y'all keep that prayerfully be sure and be here uh sunday morning it's going to be great all right father we just come before you tonight father we thank you for the word we thank you for the word that's before us tonight we thank you father for your spirit that's going to guide us and direct us tonight as we study your word i pray father as we do that as we are diligent to dig into your word that we we dig up the treasures that are there and uh, that you've that you have for us and father that we use them to to the advantage of the kingdom of god And father Help us to grow in this tonight. Help us to be blessed. Your word promises a blessing upon us. We thank you for that. Help us to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear everything that the Spirit of the Lord is going to show us tonight. We thank you for the beautiful weather we've had. We thank you for every person here tonight, for their diligence and their willingness and their hunger for the word, and special blessing upon each one tonight. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hold your Bible up. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. I am about to be taught from the everlasting, incorruptible seed of the word of the living Word of God. So we thank you for that, and and uh, so we, I will never be the same again as a result of that. Say that I will never be the same again. Right? Amen. All right, glad y'all are here. We're here for lesson 12 tonight. We're at the halfway point, or thereabouts. We're going to go over finish chapter 11 tonight, so we will be halfway there. And I believe tonight will be a, a blessing to you. It's a lot of. It's a probably going to be a little shorter session, but it's going to be. Uh, it's got. It's it's a cram jam packed with good stuff. So keep in mind what's the main thing we talk about when we're talking about a Revelation? Jesus, always Jesus. So a recap from our last study. We began the fourth interlude or parenthetical in Revelation. We covered chapter 10 and most of chapter 11. Everybody get a copy of the deal, just in case you didn't. There's still more back there. So we, uh, we covered most, uh, all of chapter 10, most of chapter 11, showing the mighty angel representing Jesus standing on land and sea, declaring all things under his feet, proclaiming to all that the mystery of God, uh, his great plan of salvation and restoration of all things would be finished would soon be finished we saw the introduction of his two great witnesses who came with great power entered the scene on the earth finished their testimony be slain by the beast resurrected and raptured to heaven after laying in the street for three and a half days and then the great earthquake destroying a tenth of the city and killing seven thousand prominent people this time we'll finish chapter 11 and continue into chapter 12 we won't probably won't continue into chapter 12 tonight because chapter 11 just had too much uh, the finish of the chapter 11 i didn't want to start into twelve so it's just going to finish up with uh, chapter 11 uh, verses 15 through 19 which we'll read right now revelation eleven fifteen through 19 the seventh trumpet then the seventh angel sounded there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of this world the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our lord and of his christ and he shall reign forever and ever And the twenty-four elders who sat before before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come in the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple and there were lightnings noises thunderings and earthquake and great hail so John's revelation continues to unfold uh, future events on earth as, as God reveals them to him in his vision the scene John saw was, was next was saw next was in heaven in the middle of all the woes and judgments of the tribulation God inserts here an encouragement for the Christians left on the earth most of those who have turned to Jesus for salvation have been martyred, and those who are sealed must continue on earth through these intense days. There will be Christians, remember, there will be, because remember the 144,000 that were sealed of God, the evangelists, there's the there's two witnesses. Uh, there's going to be Christians during this time, but they're going to be through some very, uh, literally, hell on earth. So, what we see now in these last verses of chapter 11 is a picture that anticipates the glory of the coming reign of Christ on the earth What is called the millennial kingdom and they as well as we are reading this this will know his promise uh, rescue is coming Now then the seventh angel sounded the trumpet remember we we were going through all the trumpets This is a seventh trumpet that sounded in verse 15. This event is so important to understanding the rest of the book that it deserves a pause in God's program This chapter brings us chronologically to the breathtaking entrance of eternity, where the mystery of God finally is revealed. The Holy Spirit now summarizes events that lead us as far as Revelation 21, where eternity begins. This broad outline ushers us to the door of eternity. It's in this passage, verses 15 through 19, that it seems now we have, have sort of a prophetic panoramic view of the rest of the tribulation period and beyond victory over the enemies of Jesus and establishment of this of his kingdom, rewarding of believers and judgment of the dead, and finally destruction of those who are trying to destroy the earth. And just as the opening of the seventh seal brought forth a profound silence in heaven, the sounding of the seventh trumpet initiates joy at the inevitable resolution and consolation of all things. Loud voices in heaven begin to sing. All of God's cre- created intelligences in the whole host of heaven can see the end now in our jubilee in anticipation of evil's end so close at hand it's a time of great joy for them the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever this is a joy that anticipates a certain result the kind of joy that every believer should have right now our faith is built on the confident expectation of a desired result see that in 11: 1 pastor preached on that uh, this past Sunday today the kingdoms of this world are under Satan. And he rules them as one kingdom. But we know, as it says in Ephesians 6:12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So even though our neighbors or our people we work with sometimes we think they're the, they're the devil themselves. It's not that they're not the devil. They're the, it's the devil behind them that's causing all these things. That's where really what we're wrestling against in these last, latter days the totality of civilization and society of which men boast self improvement yet become more godless and wicked each day is a condemned civilization accelerating towards judgment jesus christ jesus will depose the satanically energized world rulers who have prevailed for so long and satan's kingdom will crumble and be delivered to the lord jesus christ to rule revelation 19 will unpack the details of this upset when the Lord Jesus puts down the rebellion that'll be a great chapter study when that comes the seventh trumpet moves us along step by step toward eternity this revelation of God's kingdom come kingdom come causes the 24 elders sitting before God on their thrones to fall on their faces to worship remember these 24 elders they represent the church and they represent the tribes of Israel it's kind of a combination but it's a representation I believe of, of all believers up to that point They sing, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. This is a projection of the end of the tribulation period. They praise God that finally he will take his rightful place. Until now, God had allowed powers hostile to his people to control the earth. But then he will begin to rule directly. Their adoration then causes the church in heaven to worship and celebrate the coming of the, of Christ to the earth. This will at last be the answer to our prayer. Your kingdom come, your your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Most of us learn that prayer and know it by heart, but this is when the real I mean we have a kingdom on earth now through the through the believers and the and the Holy Spirit that lives within us, but that one day that kingdom will come into the millennial kingdom. And so that's in Matthew sixteen uh, 6.10. As well as the answer to the cry of the martyrs, you remember, under the altar in, in Revelation 6.10, and when they, when they were crying out, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? But even as, as worship fills the halls of heaven, rebellion still sweeps the earth. The nations are filled with rage at God's judgment, revealing how man's stubborn rebellion will continue to the very end. They believe the lie that God doesn't judge sin and think we only get better every day while actually we just get worse You know, there are still some people that believe that uh, That's the way we're going to go into eternity is man will continually progress until they're better And then there won't be any need for a rapture or anything like that We'll just move right into the millennial kingdom of Christ and be better But I think you can look around and see I don't think people are getting better well, From my point of view anyway uh, and I'm sure most of y'all, too. As verse 18 continues, we learn that the dead will be judged for their sin, which will take place at the great white throne judgment. We'll cover that in Revelation 20, and there's the verses if you want to go ahead and read ahead. Also, we also see in the next statement that God will judge sin righteously and reward the faithful graciously. Graciously, He says that in the, that you should reward your servants, prophets, saints, those who fear your name, small and great. The true church... The faithful, redeemed, and glorified people of God have already been raptured and will stand before the Lord at the Bema seat and receive their crowns they wear on their heads, as we've seen represented by the 24 elders. We believe the judgment happens after the rapture of church and sometime before the second coming of Christ. And then the last statement of verse 18, we read that the time is now to, uh, here to destroy those who, um, uh, well, that's actually probably not verse 18, it was probably back, uh, yeah, it is, the last statement of verse 18. Well, it was here to destroy those who destroy the earth, and we'll see that as things unfold in the uh, following chapters. This refers both to man and Satan. John will soon tell us of the destruction of some of those distro- these destroyers, specifically Babylon, the beast, the false prophet, and Satan, along with everybody that followed after them. So we're going to talk about Bama, the judgment seat of Christ. So before we go too much further, let's take a look at these times of judgment in a little bit more detail. Specifically, that of the church, the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema. Some Bible scholars believe that verse 18 is giving us a picture of this judgment seat of Christ. See, it's telling us in, back in verse 18, it says, the nations were angry and wrath in the time of the dead. They should be judged and that you should reward your servants. So that a lot of, lot of scholars look at that and say, this is where the judgment seat of Christ actually takes place. There are two heavenly judgments to take place. The judgment seat of Christ, which will be at Christ's throne, and then the great white throne judgment, which will be at God's throne. We talked about that earlier, and there's the scriptures. Let me give you some scriptures for the judgment seat of Christ that kind of help us along the way. Romans 14, uh, verse 10 through 12, says this, But why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This is Paul talking. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess. So then, each of us shall give account of himself to God. Second Corinthians five ten says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each of you may receive the things done in the body, according to that, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. First Corinthians four five this says this. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. First Timothy 24-25 uh, says, Some men's sins are clearly evident, presenting them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. Isn't that something? You know, you think you have secret sins, but God knows all. And you think you might not be being recognized for the good works you do, but God knows those too. So I mean, that's kind of explains what that what you're looking at there. He knows, He knows when you've been good or bad. <laughs> wonder, wonder, wonder where they got that. Huh? Romans two sixteen says, "In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel." And then Second Timothy four one. Uh, it says, uh, 4, 1, and 2, I, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead in his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and teaching. Paul is writing to the young preacher Timothy right there, but he's giving him some guidance on there about judgment. This Bama judgment that we're talking about, uh, and, and I, I encourage you to go back and read those, uh, give those, Scriptures, but it's always good to go back and read them in context to what it's trying to tell you. Because there's other things that you'll learn as you read the verses before and after that, and see where it's what's happening, who who it's addressing, and things they're talking about. The bema judgment will occur at the throne of Christ. Bema, is, it's not bema. I looked it up. The, the way you say it in Greek is bema. That's the way it says. It sounds like a, a redneck from Alabama, but it's bema. Bema is the Greek word for judgment seat a raised place or platform on which judges sat to view athletic games such as the, uh, the Olympics. Their job was to make sure contestants follow the rules and to present awards to the victors. In many cases, this was the Stephanos crown. We talked about that earlier when we were talking about the churches, uh, the letters to the churches. A Stephanos crown, a garland or a wreath awarded to the victor in an ancient athletic game. In this case, concerning verse, verse 18, this judgment will begin when the doors in heaven are opened. In verse 19, and will be for the saints, prophets, servants, and those who feared God's name. It will be to see who will be rewarded and who will not. And note the the, the word for reward in verse 18 is misthos, and means a payment for works. Properly, a reward or a recompense that appropriately compensates a particular decision or action. So keep that in mind as we go through, and we're talking about uh, the Bama Seat of Christ. That's where you're, uh, and some more explanation here as we go through. The Judgment Seat of Christ does not determine our salvation. That matter was settled by Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. You can read that in five, uh, First John 2, two, And our salvation in Him, of course, in John 3.16. All our sins are forgiven, and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're a believer... True believer, you are in Christ Jesus, as it states in Romans eight one. Uh, Jesus said, "Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, has eternal life and will be not will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life." That's in five, John five twenty four. Likewise, the judgment seat of Christ is also not a time to punish sin. Now, some people believe that at that time you're actually going to be because he says you'll reward for things for good and bad things. That, that's a time of punishment. But Jesus took our punishment once and for all. The judgment seat of Christ is a time when we will be called on to report, to render an accounting of what we did for Jesus. It will be a serious and necessary time of reckoning. But as God's redeemed, we will never be condemned with the wicked. As one theologian put it, it cannot be too strongly emphasized that the judgment is unrelated to the problem of sin. That's already been taken care of by when we accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. That is more for the stowing of rewards than the rejection of failure. So believers are secure in Christ, but they still must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It will be a time of examination and a time of reward. Jesus will inspect our works. What did we do With the resources god gave us how faithful were we were we yielded to the spirit seeking to honor christ and further his work in the world if so we will have reward matthew 10 uh the verses 41 through 42 says he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward and who who receives a he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man you rece- shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Did we neglect our opportunity to serve the Lord? If so, we will suffer loss of reward. Paul likens our Christian service to erecting a building. And y'all are very familiar with this passage, but 1 Corinthians three eleven through 15 says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. Anytime you see that, for the day will declare it, means that's something that's going to happen at the end of time, at the end of days, at the time, what we're we're talking about in, in the book of Revelation. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each other's works of what sort it is. If anyone's work which is built on it endures, he will receive a ward. And if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Note in the above passage that our works that followed after our salvation in Christ are of two different types, good and bad. The fire of God's scrutiny will reveal the quality of our works. As Arthur Pink points out, he I'll tell you a little bit about him in just a little bit. Gold, silver, precious stones are of intrinsic value, whereas wood, hay, stubble are a natural growth. He wrote that. But rewards are, are distributed as those whose works withstand the test. In other words, they're intrinsic. They're intrinsic. They're, they have value. They have substantial value. You know, those things that are, uh, like I said, uh, the ones that are uh, gold, uh, silver, and precious stones. So they're intrinsic. Those are heavenly works. Those are the treasures you lay in hev- lay up in heaven. Those works have a natural re- the, those works that have a natural source, the fleshly works or the carnal works, will suffer loss. In other words, you can do works for the Lord, but you can be doing them in a carnal way and not out of just by being spirit-led. You can do something just to be recognized by people and call it a good work, but it's still a carnal work, and God will know the difference when the time comes. Their works will be burned up, but they themselves will be saved. The judgment seat of christ then does not confer or rescind salvation now talking about arthur pink um, arthur pink was a english bible teacher and he was a calvinist uh, of reformed th- theology but let me tell you this guy he, he he lived all his life and died on i mean he lived in, di- i mean born in 1886 died in 1952 he was little known in his lifetime but he was, became one of the most influential evangelical authors in the second half of the 20th century. All of his books have been reprinted many times. And he, he was actually more famous after he died when his books started being re, reprinted and uh, a lot in there. So, I mean, I'm saying he's Calvinist by, by training and, and belief, but he, he wrote so many good things. Now, this is a quote from him. I like this quote. I'm just going to give you a quote out of one of his many that went in there. But his, this is a A.W. Pink quote and, and I, I, I promise you it's for this class and this group of people here tonight. The Bible, this is what Arthur Pink said, The Bible is no lazy man's book. Much of its treasure, like the valuable mineral, minerals stored in the re- recesses of the earth, only yield up themselves to a diligent seeker. No verse of Scripture yields its meaning to lazy people. So I believe people that come to Bible school and Bible study come to church regularly. I mean, every Sunday and are part of Bible study groups, you guys are seekers of the Word. So, I, you know, I just, that, that was for y'all. That's, I think that's good. Anyway, just thought you'd be interested to hear that. Just to throw out, just to tell y'all that I appreciate you being here and, I, and your diligence to learn more about the Word. In anticipation of the judgment seat of Christ, we're careful in what we say and do in this life. James James gives this advice. So speak and so do as those who will be, will be judged by the law of liberty. And the word of Je- words of Jesus in Matthew 12, 36 says, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. We want to give our account with joy on that day, and that is why we strive to serve the Lord faithfully today. The Bible speaks... The Bible speaks of believers receiving crowns for different things. The various crowns are described in 2 Timothy 4.8, where we see the crown of righteousness for those who love Christ appearing. Y'all can go back and read those. Uh, I'm just giving you a little uh, thumbnail sketch of that. James 1.12 and and Revelation 2.10 describes the crown of life for overcoming temptation. We have 1 Peter 5.4, which is the crown of glory for ministers, pastors, and workers. And then we have... 1 Corinthians 9:24 through 25, the incorruptible crown for running the race and finishing it. And then 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 through 20, the crown of rejoicing for winning souls to Christ. We believe the judgment seat of Christ is when these crowns will be awarded. Christ wears the royal crown. When we see that, when we get to Revelation 19:11, we'll see that he's coming with his crown. That crown is not the Stephanos crown. This is the crown that in the Greek says it's the diadem, the diadem the crown of authority, the king of kings, the lord of lords. That's the kind of crown he will be wearing, and we will wear a victor's crown if we overcome. At the very end of the Bible, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. In preparation for the judgment seat of Christ, what are you choosing to build with? Gold, silver, and precious stones, things that will last, or wood, hay, and straw, things that will not stand the day of testing? So we took a little bit of a rabbit trail for the details of the judgment seat of Christ, but I think it was important to keep this in mind. We are all readers of the book of Revelation. I believe this is part of the blessing that re- that from reading it, that there's a place included in future events where believers can take heart and hope in the promises of god after all like pastor said on sunday our faith is anchored in eternity you know what about you know that think about our faith our faith faith is anchored anchored in eternity and we're looking forward to those things that's going to happen to us and 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 the, and the things that we're going to receive in eternity not that we working for that end but that's what we will see it's our hope we're, our our faith is anchored in eternity i love that statement the apostle paul said it this way in his letter to the church at Colossae in in, in asia he said in verse one uh, chapter one verse 27 he said to them he's talking to the gentile church here or mostly gentiles to them god willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the gentiles which is christ in you the hope of glory christ in us is our hope of glory the mystery spoken of here is speaking directly to gentiles who are reading this letter from Paul, but of course we know that in the broad picture of salvation, it applies to all believers, Jews and Gentiles, that Christ in us is our hope of glory, both present and future. Always remember, Jesus is the main thing. So as believers, we can take encouragement in the future judgment seat of Christ. Let's see if there's some hope that we can be seen for the unbelieving Jews, or maybe even the believing Jews during this time. After all, we have to remember since the rapture of the church in the beginning of the 70th week God will be turning his attention uh, to the people of promise the nation of Israel Romans uh, and and you can go back and read write this if you want to write this verse down Romans 9 six through 7 you can see it I encourage you to always do this read 9 10 and 11 of Romans because it gives you that um, it gives you that hope that Israel has of once they even though they have rejected Christ there is a plan for them but anyway Romans uh Chapter 9, verse 6 says, For they are not all Israel who are of Israel. They are not all Christians who say they are Christ, uh, of Christ. So, I mean, it's just something you say. You know, you've you got to look at the heart of the matter in there. But I'm just saying that he has turned his attention to the people of promise, the nation of Israel. And when I say the nation of Israel, these are the people that are turning back to him. So that, that brings us to the final, final verse that finishes chapter 11, verse 19. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. Hail. The next scene we see ushers us to the glad gate of eternity. The doors of God's temple in heaven fly open, and the ark of his covenant is clearly seen, surrounded by flashes of lightning and thunder, an earthquake and a fierce hailstorm. It's important to note a couple of significant things here at this juncture in this verse. When we started our study in the book of Revelation in lesson one, we learned that one of the striking and singular features of the entire book, talking about the book of Revelation, is this, that the book of Revelation is like a great union station where the great trunk lines of prophecy have come in from other portions of Scripture. We need to understand where each began and how it was developed as it arrives in Revelation. Revelation brings to complete conclusion what began somewhere else in Scripture. It's critical to to a right understanding of the book to be able to trace each great subject of prophecy from the first reference to the terminal. This is why you need to read the book, need to read and have knowledge of the rest of the Bible to understand Revelation. That's why I've told you in the past, read Jeremiah, read Isaiah, read Zechariah, read Amos, read Hosea, read all of those prophets and and, and Daniel for sure. Read all those books because they, they all, that's what it's saying, all those books of prophecy, prophecy are coming to the grand central station of prophecy right here in the book of Revelation. This way, why you need more than 500 times uh, it, it alludes to or references the Old Testament. In its five in its 404 verses, 278 contain references to the Old Testament. That's amazing, over half of them. In other words, over half of this book depends on your understanding of the Old Testament. You can't read Revelation without going back to the Old Testament time and time again. There are at least ten great subjects of prophecy that we listed in Lesson 1 that land in the book of Revelation. We won't cover them all, but I want to cover number ten of that list, that which is this. Israel's covenants, beginning with the covenant of God made with Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, promised Israel five things, and God says in Revelation that he will fulfill them all. We may not cover them all here, but we'll, we'll see part of them. But you remember that God said he will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. So many, the, the temple of, so the next the, the verse says, Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. So many Bible scholars and expositors seem to agree that when God's temple is open, we're seeing this picture. That's what John is seeing in this vision. He's writing it down in his, uh, in his book. It is showing forth that God is now ready to deal with Israel and fulfill all the promises regarding his people. He is ready to open up access to himself and receive their worship. He is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. His ark is the reminder of his faithfulness, presence, and atonement of Israel. What John saw was not the earthly ark. But it's the heavenly original of which Moses received the pattern for the earthly one built in the wil- for the wilderness tab- tabernacle. We talked about that when Moses went up on Mount Sinai. God so- showed him all the patterns of all the furniture that were to go into the tabernacle. This ark that he's, you're, that's being seen now is the original ark of the covenant or ark of the uh, be the ark of the testament uh, and covenant. Same thing. That was in is in heaven at that time but you can go back and read that section on the ark in Exodus 25 and just as the veil of the temple in Jesus time on earth was torn from top to bottom at the moment of his crucifixion to open up the Holy of Holies demonstrating the finished work of his his sacrifice and granting access through to God through him so now the temple of God in heaven will be opened up and the ark of his covenant will be seen this is revealing the hope and the promises of God toward Israel. This is a showing of the real Day of Atonement that was shadowed here on the earth in times past, but consummates in Jesus. The letter to the Hebrews gives us this. Hebrews 9:24 through 26. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true. See what I said? That's copies of the true ones. But into the heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy places holy place every year with blood of another he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world but now once at the end of the ages he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself some bible scholars believe when you read that section right there in hebrews that jesus is actually going into the holy of holies the holy of holies some say is the Holy of Holies is where the throne of God is, and we, we'll see that here in just a minute. But the Holy of Holies, they actually say, is is the place right behind the throne of God. Jesus is entering into the Holy of Holies with his blood. Now, we don't know how that blood. Uh, they're just saying that he, he's going in with the Holy of Holies, into the Holy of Holies with his blood that was poured out on the cross, and he's he's sprinkling it on everything that's in the in the holy of holies all the pieces of furniture that are in the holy place up there and sanctifying forever because his blood was poured out now i don't know how the blood gets there or if he carried it or if the angels carried it or what but you know that's you think about that that could be what it's saying that he's entering into the most holy place once for all once at the end of the ages he has appeared to put away sin and how did they put away sin well you remember the the, the day of atonement we'll get to that here in just a minute I want to go back to that Day of Atonement we're talking about. We're talking about uh, the Day of Atonement is one of the seven feasts of the Lord. Uh, you remember it started out with the Passover? It, start, it goes, the, and part of that, there's a Passover season. But the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then the Feast of Firstfruits is, a, is during the Passover season, that first part. And then we come to the uh, the uh, Feast of, of Pentecost, uh, which is the Feast of Weeks? That's 50 days later after the after the uh, the fulfillment. I mean, after the uh, fulfillment of those feasts, uh, the first fruits. Now, these three feasts that we're talking about have already been fulfilled, right? Or these four feasts: the Passover, of course, by Jesus's crucifixion uh, and his death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, that. That was showing uh, the the fulfillment of the Passover unleavened bread and first fruits. You can go back and look on the ta- on the uh, feast study about that. And then, of course, Pentecost was fulfilled. Uh, this the the first fulfillment of that was at the at the upper room experience where the 120 received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, at, at the feast of Pentecost during that time. So we have those four that have been fulfilled. Now we told you at the time we were talking about. The feast of the Lord, that there's still these three feasts yet to be uh, fulfilled: the feast of trumpets, the feast of the day of atonement, or what they call the day of atonement, and then of course the feast of tabernacles, called also called the end gathering or the final harvest. These are the feasts that we we believe that will be fi- fulfilled during this time of, of uh, when after the rapture of the church. And, of course, we feel, we believe that uh, the feast of trumpets is actually uh, a fulfillment at the rapture when when God the, at the last trump you know everyone is raptured and we go to uh, and, and those the dead and Christ will rise first and then we who live will follow after that's actually a fulfillment of the of the of the trumpets or, or a partial fulfillment of the trumpet uh, feast all of these feasts you know God didn't do all these things they show these feasts for nothing they're a, they're a prediction or a, a prof- prophecy of what's happening are going to happen in the future, and all of these will come to pass. He's, he's all, they're all going to have a, a come to pass. Some say that this, this um, uh, Day of Atonement, that we're seeing where the, te- where the temple gates are open, the door is open to the temple, we're seeing the Ark of the Covenant. This is the actual Day of Atonement. Uh, satisfaction of the Day of Atonement now uh, uh, showing forth to the Jews. Now, let me give you just a, a quick thing about the Day of Atonement. Uh, Yom, it's called Yom Kippur. It was considered the most solemn holy day of all the feasts and festivals for the Jewish people, as we shall see. There is much prophetic insight and implication. I, I'm just just a side note. I'm just reading it to you. But this was the most. This was considered the most holy day of the year. And preceding that day of Atonement, there were. It started with the with the. This was in the month of, of what they call Tishri, their Jewish month. So this was the first month. It was the. It's con, considered Rosh Hashanah, or the of the. The beginning of the new year or the new civil year for the year that's when they would have the blowing of the trumpets but preceding that blowing of the trumpets on that first day they have a whole month of what they call a a time of repentance and then we have this uh, the first blowing of the trumpets for the first of the month of this month and then there's 10 days what they call the 10 days of awe where people are, they know this is the month that the Day of Atonement takes place. They know this is the month when the high priest goes into the to the Holy of Holies at one time a year that he does that, and he's going to sprinkle the blood uh, before the seat and before and, and on the mercy seat for the, all the sins of uh, Israel. It's called Yom Kippur. What that means is the Day of Atonement or the Day of Covering, covering of the sins uh, comes from the word uh, kephar, to cover to placate, to cancel, to appease, cleanse, disannul, forgive, be merciful. That's what all those atonement means. So we're talking about what we're seeing here is an actual, it's given the people that are seeing this maybe, and I mean maybe the Jews that are reading this in this book, they're seeing there is a time when there is a day of atonement that's going to take place and it's preceded by the trumpets, and the trumpet's blowing. You know, we just got through. This is the last trumpet of those seven trumpet judgments. So, you know, there's some validity to that, that we could be seeing a dual completion of that uh, feast right there where the seven trumpets are blown. Now we see that as a, as a result of that final trumpet be, being blown, there is a, an opening of the, of the temple. And they see the Ark of the Covenant. And when they see the Ark of the Covenant, believe me, the Jewish people know what that Ark of the Covenant represents because the Ark of the Covenant is considered the mercy seat of Christ or the throne of Christ on earth, and it, or God, is the throne of God on earth. And so when blood is sprinkled on there, it covers, it covers the sins uh, of the people Uh Uh, For that one time a year for the past year when the high priest goes in there for that So I'm just saying it's it's one of those things and and as we're seeing this, you know, we see that um, the um, The Ark of the Covenant is exposed people see it and so the vision of the Ark of the Covenant we will resume uh, talking right here uh, reading the vision of the Ark of the Covenant where the mercy seat of God is could be a reminder to Israel that they are dealing with with a covenant-keeping God and on the basis of his past faithfulness, their redemption is guaranteed. He will make a new covenant with them, writing the law in their hearts instead of on cold tablets of stone. Now remember, this: we use this for us. This is, this also applies to us because when you become a believer, you're, you, you, things change in your life. But we use this passage, Jeremiah 31, uh, 31 through 20, 34. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. See, that shows you that it's going to be an inner thing. It's not going to be an outer thing that the people so many years used. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. Keep in mind that that section right there where it says, No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother. We're talking about a projection or a prophetic projection of the millennial kingdom because that's going to happen during that time. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. And then the writer of the epistle to the Hebrews Quotes the same passage here in Hebrews 8, 8 through 13. It's basically the same thing, but let's let's read it again. It never hurts to read the Word of God. Because finding fault with him, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant in the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law, my laws in their mind, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none of his brothers, saying, No, the Lord, for all, all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, for their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And, of course, from these two passages of Scripture, really one and the the same, but recording the Old and New Testament again in the New, we know that they're speaking of the New Covenant of God's grace through the atoning blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So think about this, but right now approximately 2% of the total worldwide Jewish population is messianic. In other words, they believe in the Jesus that came 2,000 years ago, was crucified, died, was buried, and rose again, and he is their Messiah, just like we do. As for evangelicals, the number worldwide is somewhere between 20 to 30 um, percent. When the trumpet of God sounds and there is a shout from an archangel, all of the messianic Jews and the true believing Christians will be taken up to be kept from the coming wrath. We we'll see that in those two scripture passages there if you want to go back and read them. That's what we refer to as the rapture. By the end of the tribulation, about two-thirds of the Jewish population will have perished, but the remaining one-third will totally believe in and accept Jesus as their Savior. And this is a scripture passage where that statistic comes from. They didn't just make that up. Zechariah 13. You need to go read Zechariah, especially 12, 13, and 14. But Zechariah 13 says, And it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it will be cut off and die but one-third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as gold, as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. And they will call on my name, and I will answer them, and I will say, This is my people. And each one will say, The Lord is my God. Amen. Zechariah is sometimes referred to as the most messianic of the Old Testament books and gives us some good insight into what the millennial kingdom will be like. Quoted many times in gospel narratives, in Revelation, Zechariah is quoted more than any other prophet except Ezekiel. Even the name Zechariah has so much significance to the end time prophecies, promises regarding Israel. The name literally means Yahweh remembers. I think that's, I mean, God thought of everything, didn't he? There will be a time, there will be other references back to Zechariah as we proceed, because beginning in Zechariah from chapter 12, you begin to see the prophecy of Israel's deliverance, repentance, and their cleansing from, from sin and uncleanness as they return in the day of the Lord in that day. And I say, I put that right there, that little phrase, in that day. You can go back and if you start reading in, in I want to say, chapter 12 of Zechariah, you will see so many references that says, in that day. And then read what it says after that. When What they're talking about is they're talking about the future deliverance. Of Israel, they're talking also in some of those things that we, see, we you'll see in there. Especially in 14, we'll see that here in just a minute. But we're also talking about the millennial kingdom, and we'll get more into that as we get further along. But uh, Isaiah used that phrase a lot in his last few books of Isaiah, the, like uh, 65 through or 64, 65, 66. Some of those books you see are in that day, but that means it's pointing you forward into that day when. Uh, when all these things will be happened, Israel will be will once again. And I love it. I, I didn't cover all the verses, but you can go back when you read, and we'll probably cover it again. But like uh, Isaiah, or not Isaiah, but Zechariah 12:10 is when they, when they actually it says they will look upon the one whom they have pierced, and 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 that's when they recognize that all this time they were looking in the wrong place. They were looking for love in the wrong all the wrong places. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Write a song about that, couldn't you, Pastor? Anyway. Uh, so anyway, that it's what it's pointing to in that day uh, is when they're gonna when, when that's gonna happen. So, so we have these passages we just read that help us to understand the status quo and position of Israel at this future time as we move toward the end of tribulation. The last forty-two months, I believe, with uh, this uh, this is another example of God's mercy and grace to His people. So much mercy and grace. I mean, we have so much mercy and grace now, but His people, He also He hasn't forgot about His people. He still Uh, pouring out mercy and grace. The Apostle Paul verifies that message of hope to Israel in this passage from the book of Romans. He says, And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them. And when when I take away their sin, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. As Revelation 11 opens with the measuring of the temple on earth, it closes with the opening of the temple in heaven, accompanied by lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquake and great hell, which is probably an indicator. This is what most scholars believe. When we see that lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquake and great hell, it's probably an indicator of the testing and refining that Israel, or what's left of her, will have to endure as God's final wrath is poured out on the inhabitants of earth over the next 42 months although it does say and we'll cover this in the next one in revelation 12:14, when we're talking about the seven personalities and one of them is the woman which we'll get to that eventually but uh the woman is is referred to as israel the nation israel uh, that, that that woman meaning national israel will be taken uh by on the wings of a great eagle where she'll be re- nourished for a time times and half a time when, when you see that phrase a time Times and a half a time—that's actually saying a year, two years, and a half a year. So that's three and a half years, which is that 42 months. So you know it all comes together right there. So I'm just saying, you can it, you can find that uh, in in Revelation 12:14. We'll cover that next lesson. Finally, Jeremiah 30 uh, verse 7 says, "Alas, for that great day is for that day is great, so that none is like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble." but he shall be saved out of it see that should give hope for israel that we see right there that one-third that's left after they're going through all that tribulation all that time that they're 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 seeing the the persecution from the devil himself uh, that third i believe will return to turn to jesus and they will be saved uh at that last time the seven bold judgments that we're going to see in the next um, lesson and uh, that will happen in in the when i say that time that they'll be uh all when God's fi- r- final wrath is poured out we see that in the seven bold judgments uh, but they will I believe they will be taken you know just just like to remember in exodus when the when the Israel did not have to go through all the plagues that uh, Pharaoh and his people had to go through it's kind of that same uh, what we're going to see here the seven bold judgments that will start in chapter 16 but we're a ways from that yet so anyway that's what we've got I just wanted to show you that the, that finishing up I didn't want to go into chapter 12 now because it there's a lot of things we'll see the seven in chapters 12 and 13. We're, we're going to be introduced to the seven significant personalities that are considered the key players in the battle of good and evil at the end of days. And we know what the end of the book says and can't wait to get to that point when they're all... Well, I'm not going to tell you the end of the book. Y'all just go ahead and read it for yourself, okay? All right. Everybody's read it, I'll bet you for sure, by now. All right. Well, this... Let's just uh, thank God for the word one more time. Father, we just thank you for the word, for the word that you've showed us tonight. We thank you that there's a future time, Father, that we, we know we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we look forward to that day, Father. And I pray that every one of us takes heart to that and remembers that our life is not here just to have fire insurance, but it's here to uh, glorify God, to do all the things that we can do to make sure the kingdom of God reaches its maximum capacity. And, Father, we just thank you that uh, you've given us these words to see. Help us to uh, take them and to live them out until that day comes. And we look forward to that day when we can say, come Lord Jesus. We look for that. We'd, We'd say that right now. Even today, come Lord Jesus. We thank you for it. We bless you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Well, we want to thank you for joining us on our podcast today. We pray that you heard from God and that this message was for you. If you haven't already hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. It helps us reach more people with this message. Arena of Life takes pride in connecting to God, to church, and to people. And we want to connect with you. So don't forget to check us out on all social media platforms, to check out our website, arenaoflifechurch.org, and to download the Church Center app and to choose Arena of Life as your church. And a special thanks to those who make a difference by giving generously.